Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast and the new uh, spinoff, Future Tech Health. And my guest today is uh, Jillian Zolos. She's the founder of Keto All Day, Every Day. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, how she uses keto to work with uh, epilepsy and uh, various other subjects. So Jillian, how are you doing? I am very well today. Thank you, Richard. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm glad to talk to you. I appreciate you coming on. So, um, you know, tell me a little bit about your... Uh, you know, again, I've said this many times, but whenever someone um, gets deep into health-related issues, unfortunately, it's often because they've had some health challenges or, you know, loved ones. So tell me about how did you even find out about the keto world and uh, why are you in it and involved in it? Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, um, because I know we've got a lot of really cool things to talk about today, I won't go too far into my history because folks can can uh, look that up. They can they can look at my talk from KetoCon or they can just look up my about me on my website. But I'll give you a little bit of background. So um, in 2014, uh, I was trucking along with my regular everyday life and uh, felt that I was pretty healthy. I had always been overweight my whole my whole adult life. I'd struggled with obesity and you know did every single diet every you know out there. And if anyone had come to me and said, "Oh, I've got one more diet for you," I might have punched them. But uh, that's not what happened. Instead, I ended up having seizures. And these seizures sort of blindsided me and um, they were horrible. And my whole life sort of derailed because I live out in the country. I had no access to public transportation. And the medication that I was put on really didn't help at all. In fact, things just got worse. The seizures got worse. They got longer. And the side effects of the medication were really crippling to, to be you know, blunt about it. They were, they were horrific. And um, as a result, uh, at, when everything sort of came to a head one night after um, I had upped my dose yet again, and I was now at the maximum level of my medication, and, and oh, I was just so angry and sad, and, and it was just, the, the pain was terrible. So I, um, I, I had a really, really, really bad day, and my husband decided to go online and to go to a seizure support group because he didn't know how to help me anymore. And and things were, were really, really bad. One of the major side effects of the medication I was on was rage. And I'm not an angry person. But, uh, oh, yeah, I was I was very angry while I was on that medication. Angry and suicidal thoughts that I've never had in my life before. I mean, it was terrible. So he found keto. And, I mean, I worked in health, my, you know, 25 years. And, and uh, I'd never heard of it before. I mean, I had sort of in the literature way, way, way back. But but it wasn't part of my, my focus at all. And so I looked at this and I thought, well, whatever, I'll try. And I, I went to my doctor and my doctor laughed and said, yeah, no, only works with kids. And uh, that was my neurologist. And then my family doctor wow. um, said, well, never heard of it before, but I'll, I'll support you if you want to try it. And I started October the 23rd of 2014. And exactly two weeks later, I was seizure free. And I have wow, been awesome. seizure free for four years this November the 5th. So I'm I'm really excited about that. That's great. Congratulations, and I'm glad you persevered, even though uh, you know the doctor didn't know, and then the other doctor said that it was only for kids, which is ridiculous. 
Yeah. Well, you know, for me, it was really that or I went off all medication and died in my sleep. And that was the other option. And I was willing to do that at that point. So I was quite literally at that place. And the thing that was really interesting is that whereas the side effects of the medication were rage and anger and depression and, you know, inability to get out of bed in the morning, the side effects of keto were a 90 pound weight loss feeling great, tons of energy, and no more fibromyalgia, no more arthritis, no more pain in my life. And so, you know, I started weightlifting and powerlifting and, and just, it changed so many things. And, and for me, it was um, such an epiphany. And, and I was lucky enough that um, I, I knew that there was a big metabolics conference coming to, um, to Canada that year in 2015, and I was asked to do a poster presentation and present my case there. So I did, and I got a chance to meet, you know, Dom D'Agostino and Stephen Pinney and, and Jeff Bullock and, you know, all the big wigs uh, in the keto universe, especially the therapeutic keto universe. And, and that was really where everything just started. I started realizing, wow, someone's got to tell the story of these individuals who are profoundly changing their lives with diet. And that's how I started keto all day, every day. That's great. Yeah, I've interviewed a number of the people you mentioned. They're all very knowledgeable, very great people. Are you, are you mm-hmm. attending the uh, Metabolic Health Summit that's coming, I believe, in uh, January? No, that's the same same one. I was at that. I was at that one not last year because they skipped last year, but the year before in uh, in in uh, Tampa. But um, it's out on the West Coast this year, and I was just at Low Carb USA, and and I I don't think my husband will let me shut off to the sun <laughs> again right now because I got a couple of other conferences coming up in the next few months. Right. So I'm gonna have to take no a miss on that one this year, but I will definitely when they bring it back to the East Coast next year, I will be there for sure. Oh, cool. Um, that's amazing healed yourself what you mentioned offline that you're a biohacker so i would bet that you've tried a lot of things in keto that most people haven't tried and experimented so what are are some of the experiments you've done and what have you noticed well i think the the really important message that needs to get out there into the universe is that you know each of us is an individual and we each have different you know epigenetic expression we have different you know genes we have different metabolic um stressors in our life. We have all kinds of things that that sort of dictate what we're going to respond to. And not everybody responds to the same thing. So for those people who are using keto, you know, keto diets therapeutically, we are generally speaking, looking for pretty high ketones. And, and by high, I mean, you know, not necessarily the sort of nutritional range of 0.5 to 1.5, but, you know, over 1.5 and sometimes as high as 4 or 5 on a regular basis. And and I'm sure you've, you've discussed this in the past with other, um, you know, with other people you've had on the podcast, but the glucose ketone index is, is a really nice little scale to kind of measure, um, you know, how you're doing and, and whether or not you're achieving the goals that you want. And and just for your listeners, that is your, you know, your glucose number in millimolar. So sorry, you Americans have to do some math. <laughs> and then you divide it by your ketones. So a therapeutic range is as close as you can get to one and preferably under one. Um, but they consider under three to kind of be therapeutic. So to put that in perspective, that means that when I wake up in the morning and my blood sugar is 3.6, which I even went so far as to load a chart because I was pretty sure we might talk about this. Um, that would what, be what is that in uh, milligrams 65, per decimeter, by the way? That'd be about 65. Whoa, really? 
So oh, if I wake wow. up in the morning and it's 3.6 um, and my ketones are 4.2, then that's great. I'm, I'm under, I'm under one for sure. Um, yeah, my, my blood sugar hit 2.1, which is about 43 or so, I think, uh, the other day, but it was good because I'm not symptomatic. You know, I've been doing this for four years and, and I had no symptoms of hypoglycemia. So that, uh, that worked well, but, you know, so for me, I'm usually pretty happy if my range is, you know, even three to six. So ketones ranging around 1.5, I feel really good. My brain feels good. I don't feel, you know, like I might be um, on the verge of an aura or anything like that. But somebody else might feel that they function optimally a little higher than that or even a little lower than that. And it kind of makes me sad when I see everyone out there in the, you know, in the interweb chasing ketones not really understanding um, what that metric actually really means and that it might not actually mean anything depending on, you know, on, on what the, what the goals are and whether you've exercised, oh, okay. you know, all that kind so of thing. So you're talking about the, the blood sugar to uh, the blood sugar to ketone ratio. You're trying to get mm-hmm. it into the one-to-one range, right? Uh, around there. Yeah. Under three. So, and and that means that usually I just want my blood sugar and my ketones to be very closely correlated. I want them to be really close together, nice and tight. The tighter they are, the better. And if my ketones are a little higher than my blood sugar, that's actually even better. But how so, do you control your ketone level? I've, I've I've almost never heard anyone talk about, you know, they're happy just to get into ketosis. Yeah, so tell me what, what are the hacks you've done? Because I've, you know, I've used like the precision extra. I've measured my ketones and, you know, I've gotten like 1.5. It, what I noticed is it took me several months to get above like a 0.9 or a 1. And mm-hmm. I was so happy when I got to 1.5 the first time. Um, but what have you noticed? Like, how do you control your ketone levels? So I guess the first thing is to understand whether or not that's even relevant with, you know, in terms of what the numbers are. And so, you know, if you're a really fit guy, then you may be very effective at using ketones from your bloodstream as, as fuel. And, and that means that your numbers may be lower for some time. And when I started my ketogenic journey, my, my ketones were frequently above four, like almost all the time. And that's with a fat, um, you know, fat macro of about 80% of my calories coming from fat. And that's pretty much what you need for a therapeutic level. But after four years, my ketones are down in the, you know, 0.6 to one range on a regular basis because I'm just really good at using it. I've become, I've become good at, at, you know, converting. So I think, you know, first thing is the, the levels in your blood mean way less than whether or not you're achieving your goals. So are you seizure free or are you feeling really mentally sharp or are you losing the weight you want or are, you know, is your A1C being managed? Like those are, are really easy, trackable things that people don't need to measure their ketones for every day to actually know that they're achieving some really great health gains. And you don't need to know what your blood ketones are for that. And so you don't need to stress out about them. But if you have cancer or you're trying to biohack to figure out what your comfort zone is, like where are you actually seizure-free? Let's just use that one because I have epilepsy. So if I were tracking my blood sugar and my ketones every day, and as I have for like almost 2000 days now. So if I were doing that every single day and I noticed that I only had seizures when my, you know, glucose ketone index was over six, then I would 
work really hard to keep that in the range of six. And in answer to your question, the way I do that is with fat as a lever. So, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, eating the fat off your plate or the fat off your body. And a lot of people are using this way of eating to, you know, lose some extra pounds. And and sometimes that, you know, that that's valid. Then you might not want to be ingesting as much fat. But if you need those therapeutic ketone levels to be high in your blood, because for some reason that is impacting the electrical signaling in your brain, i.e. for epilepsy or neurodegenerative disease, then you do have to crank up the fat on your plate. And and that's one of the Mm. amazing things about this is we don't even really know exactly how ketones impact the electrical activity for for, um, epilepsy. We just know that they do. So okay, so you mentioned if uh, you have too much fat, um, you may not lose weight if that's your goal, but you may need a tremendous amount of fat in order to stave off uh, uh, seizures or you know mm-hmm. or perhaps cancer. Yeah, and one of the really interesting things, and and I mean this is this is an aside, but um, when I lost all the weight, I didn't lose it in the way that a lot of people on keto do, you know, like 100 pounds in a year, boom, gone, um, which is remarkable, by the way. And I just kudos to those guys because I know it takes a lot of discipline to get there. Um, but I had all the discipline because I can't afford not to have it, and yet I lost 50 pounds in the first year and 40 pounds in the second year, and then the third year. I gained a lot of lean mass because I was working out and lifting a lot of heavy things a lot of the time, but I didn't lose as much fat mass as I liked. And it was then that I really realized that um, although I've been diagnosed with lipedema, which um, in, just for your listeners is, is actually a rare adipose disease. It's a, um, the disease they call fat or painful fat disease. And this lipedema fat tends to locate itself on women's hips and thighs and it is disproportionately um, laid down there so you know my waist is 27 inches and my thigh is 27 inches which I joke with Danny Vega his thigh is 27 inches but it's it's all muscle and mine's not so I have this disease and um, for listeners who are interested there's a fantastic resource out there called um the lipedema project.org really amazing just google the lipedema project to learn a lot but that fat is just so stubborn and it's so difficult to mobilize and it doesn't matter how good you are it's just really really stubborn and tends not to respond to diet or exercise and the party line that women are given is it doesn't respond to diet or exercise the only thing that you can do is have surgery but keto does work and I think the reason it works is that it really drives insulin levels really low. And so I'm actually in the middle of a biohack right now. I've got a continuous glucose monitor implanted in me, and I'm doing my ketones every day, and I'm, I'm tracking everything that I eat, and I'm trying to keep my, um, my glucose ketone uh, index at one or below every single day for 30 days, which is a challenge. But that means mm. I need to eat an enormous amount of fat. And this is where people start to get confused. Like, why do you have to eat so much fat to lose it? But there are some people, and women in particular, and perimenopausal or postmenopausal women in particular, who just cannot seem to mobilize their own adipocytes unless they're taking in a pretty good amount of fat. I'm about 140 grams of fat a day. Oh, can I still have you? Sorry, one sec. Yep. So you said you had 140 grams a day of fat. Is that, I mean, yep. let's put that in context for people. What's... <laughs> You know, because that may sound like a lot or may not sound like a lot. Um, 
what does that uh, look like or what does that feel like? I think for a lot of people, they would they would consider that pretty high. But uh, that looks like right now, because of the, the specific specific uh, hypothesis that I'm working on, it's all got to be from saturated fat. So right at the moment, I'm taking in, um, let's see, three tablespoons of lard at my first meal and three tablespoons of lard and two tablespoons of uh, coconut oil at my second meal. And then I'm eating meats that are all extremely high in fat. So, you know, ribeye and um, and a little bit of pork, but mostly mostly ribeye. So in, to sort of put this in perspective, in, in my year three, once I'd sort of reached a, um, you know, pretty much my goal weight, I was like 175 and um, feeling really great, feeling really strong. You know, I got lazy and I just, I ate my normal keto food, but I really didn't prioritize the fat anymore. So I was down in the 90 grams a day, 75, 80 grams a day of fat. And I was shocked when I had a DEXA scan and found that I'd gone up 10% body fat in a year because I had dropped my fat. That was just such a shock to me. But then again, it made sense with this lipedema because the place that it packed on was my thighs and, and, you know, my, my bum. So now that I'm back to the really high fats, 120, 140 grams a day, it's coming off. My first week, I lost eight and a half pounds. <laughs> so that was oh really my nice. God, that's crazy. Yeah, and I'll, I'll let you know how it works out when I'm done. I'm still about four weeks away from um, from wrapping this little project up, but I'm I'm hoping to put it all together and get it out there on the interweb so people can see it. And I'm hoping that uh, Wait, so, the calipers will say nice things. Yeah, so I, I you know I've spoken to um, to Jimmy Moore and I've looked at him, you know, and I, I really celebrate the guy because he's so pretty heavy, but he's, you know, he's out there speaking and all that and, and helping mm-hmm. people. You know, I've been on keto for a while. I'm still, I still have plenty of weight to lose and it's kind of, I'm kind of at a plateau. So have you found um, many people that will do keto, for instance, and they'll get to a plateau with weight and just can't lose anymore? Or is there Absolutely. something else that, you know, there's something they're doing wrong or like maybe it's not enough fat as you're saying, or what do you think? Well, again, I think there are a couple of things there. Um, everybody plateaus, period everybody's going to plateau. And I guess it just depends how you define a plateau. So I don't define a plateau as not losing weight for, you know, three days or even three weeks. If you haven't lost anything in in inches or measurement, because I really think that's almost a better predictor than the scale. But if you haven't lost anything in inches in six weeks, then I think you could call it a stall. And yeah, I mean, there, there are a few culprits. Um, I think people really overdo the nuts and the seeds. And, you know, I had a a post out on my Instagram the other day that said, stop asking if it's keto and start asking, is it real food? And then ask, is it good for me? Because people have different food sensitivities and, and you can be eating everything right. And if you've got food sensitivities, that's going to be an issue. Or if you have a fundamental metabolic problem like a thyroid issue, then that could potentially be slowing you down. But nine times out of 10, it's people are are getting on the keto bandwagon because there are so many great recipes out there for keto junk food. And quite literally, they're substituting what might not be a really fantastic diet today for a, a keto diet that is quote unquote keto that has huge amounts of nut flour in it 
and seed flour in it and lots and lots and lots and lots of sweets, which really are just perpetuating the problem, which is that, you know, we are all massively sugar addicted. And right, right. and I think, you know, so that's, that's part of the issue. And the other piece is just keeping the macros isn't good enough. You've, you've got to be mindful of the quality of food that you're eating. And, you know, what, what I think is really important is not just the quality of the food, but the quality of the fat. And so if you're eating out and you think that you can go to five guys and pick up a couple of burgers, fried in soybean oil, and, and that'll be okay for you, that's not okay for you. And, and I think that um, the, the types of oil have been really, really problematic. And a friend of mine uh, tagged me on Michael Eads talk on uh, on YouTube which is really really good about this and and talks about um, you know reverse electron transfer at this adipose site itself and that if you're eating saturated fat that fat cell will fill up and say thanks I'm good and put the energy back into the bloodstream where the the metabolism will ramp up and help burn it off but if you're eating you know these really 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 toxic soybean oil canola oils those kinds of things that mechanism doesn't happen and so, you know, it, it just, it can get bigger and bigger and bigger and cause more and more inflammation. And then all kinds of, you know, all kinds of other bad things happen when that inflammation really starts picking up. So I think, you know, salts, I would say real food first, prioritize your real food. Ask yourself, how often are you having a treat? Is it just for your birthday or is it for everybody you know's birthday? <laughs> you know, because cause that's, you, we can, we can justify this about anything, right? And uh, and I would really just say, keep it as clean as possible. And if that's still not working, look into some sensitivities, maybe FODMAPs, maybe, you know, getting rid of the more inflammatory um, foods. And for some people, I'm really, I hate to say this, but it can be avocados, our favorite friends. But that can actually be uh, a big problem, especially for uh, people who've had a lot of anti-epileptic drugs in the past. Sometimes coconut oil and avocado can actually be the things that they're sensitive to. Huh. I didn't think about that. So to follow your um, <clears throat> your analogy, let's say I go to like McDonald's and I have like, I don't know, four of their hamburger patties. I throw away the buns and I just have that, you know, and I think I'm eating keto. That still couldn't, might not be good for me because it's low quality meat. It could be fried in all kinds of garbage. Exactly. Is that an example? Yeah. And so if, if the whole point, I mean, we have to go back to why is keto such a big thing right now? Why is it helping so much in chronic pain and, and diabetes and, and obesity? It's because it is fundamentally anti-inflammatory. And it's anti-inflammatory because the, the key ingredients are anti-inflammatory. But if we are not cooking at home with our olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil, um, butter, <laughs> ghee, those kinds of things, and instead we're going out to restaurants 50% of the time, I guarantee you they are not cooking with that. I went to have Thai the other day, like hoping I could just get a satay. And I asked, mm-hmm. what do you guys fry it in? Assuming it would be coconut oil. Nope, absolutely not. Soybean oil. And that's no good? Mm. No. What's, um, what's your opinion of some of the helper items out there? I've seen um, exogenous ketones, intermittent fasting, maybe even metformin, that kind of stuff. Do you use any of those tools or have you observe people that are using those tools? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a couple of things. Let's let's start with the exogenous ketones. Um, fundamentally, I don't think the vast majority of people need to have exogenous ketones on board. But again, it really depends on what their goals are. 
So if you're an endurance athlete and, you know, you're trying to do a couple hundred kilometers on your bike, then it could be really, really helpful. And, and the research, I think, is pretty clear that it is helpful. Um, if you have epilepsy and you find that exercise is a trigger for seizures because the very fact that you're exercising tends to lower your ketone level in your blood because you are using those ketones for fuel during your exercise. So fueling during that sport or that activity with some beta-hydroxybutyrate you know, um, salts as an electrolyte drink could be really, really effective and could really help to prevent. And in fact, I, I had a, um, a lady contact me the other day about this exact same thing, and we were having this discussion, and she told me that, uh, that when she tried it with her son, it worked brilliantly, and he stopped having seizures right after his hockey game. So that's a perfect place for, for using it. And I do, I use them myself every once in a while as rescue. Um, if I've done something stupid or I've eaten out and I wasn't hundred percent sure that what I ate was as carb free as I thought it was, if my brain starts to feel not, not perfect, or if my glucose ketone index gets over six, then I will, I will resort to that. But do I think it's good for people who are trying to lose weight? No. Um, in fact, it, you know, it, it stops you <laughs> from burning your own ketones. That's, that's sort of the, the whole point. Uh, and and I know that um, Dom Diagostino had a really. That, um, what do you mean it stops you? Like what? How could you use it? Could you use it to lose weight, or is it just no good at all? My understanding is that there is not a single peer-reviewed journal out there that supports exogenous ketones for weight loss, and and that's right from Dom D'Agostino's, um, uh website. He's he's really clear about that. There, there doesn't seem to be any correlation. And it makes sense, right? Like you have ketones in your blood because you're burning your own fat. If you drink ketones, you will not make ketones. And people have to remember that in the same way that your insulin brings your blood sugar down when it gets really high, if your ketones get really high, what do you think brings it down? Insulin. And we're trying to avoid high states of insulin on a regular basis. So the reason that healthy people do not get into ketoacidosis is because when their ketones get, you know, out of, out of that, a happy zone, they do have the ability for insulin to bring them down. So I think for weight loss, I would, I would never suggest that to any of my clients. No. A lot of people say as a bridge, sort of getting onto keto, keto it can be good as an appetite suppressant. Uh, that I believe there is some research to support that it works as an appetite suppressant, but it's a really expensive appetite suppressant, you know, and, and it works and it's in your system for about an hour, hour and a half. So, um, again, I, I would rather make my own. And remember, when you're making your own, you're not just making beta-hydroxybutyrate, right? You're, you're making three different kinds of ketones. And you have all of the, the side effects of the actual process of making those ketones that, that can be really, really beneficial to your health. So again, I think it's really, it's a big buzzword right now. And, and I think there's a lot of money to be made by creating products that support this way of living because people are finding that, that the way of living helps. But I would just tell people to bring it back to basics. Like you do not need all the bells and whistles. You can do this all by yourself just by going to the grocery store. And that is incredibly empowering, Richard. I mean, where else is there something like that that you can get these kind of benefits just by making a decision, right? <laughs> to, to choose kale over, <laughs> over cake. So what about uh, intermittent fasting? What role do you see it has? 
I love it. I think it's great. Um, I mean, for most people who've been doing keto for a while, it just sort of happens automatically. Um, I personally normally fast about sort of 16 hours before I, I start my eating window. But nowadays on this particular little uh, biohack that I'm doing, I am fasting for 20 to 21 hours a day and just eating in three to four hours a day. And um, or four oh, wow. five hours a day. Yeah, three to four. And yeah, it's, it's great. Um, I'm shocked by how often I look at food sitting out on the counter or in the fridge or in my drawer at work and think, wow, when I wasn't doing this, I might actually be eating a pork rind right now, or I might be reaching for the peanut butter right now. So I think it's just good to get you in a mindset where you don't need to think about eating and you sure you accomplish a lot more when you're not <laughs> obsessing about food all day long. And I definitely think that the, uh, the therapeutic, you know, applications are fantastic and have been well reported by, you know, Dr. Jason Fung and, and, um, and others. And yeah, I use it myself. Uh, I'm not really good at long fasts yet. I'm I'm trying to get a bit better, but I'm unfortunately at the longest I've gone is like a little over 74 hours. And, and I just, I don't like it. <laughs> I have to be honest. I didn't well, like it. Lot. I didn't have fun. I mean, you feel like you even need it? It's just 72 hours. I mean, 74 is a long time. You know, I don't think I do because of how I live my life daily. But if I were a metabolically flexible individual who did not have epilepsy, I would try to have a longer fast at least a couple of times a year just to really get the benefits of having those longer fasts. Um, the fact that, you know, I pretty much do this anyway on a daily basis, thing, you know, I believe I can probably get away from having to do a three or four or five day fast, but I just want to do it to see if I could. Okay. Interesting. Well, so what other uh, tweaks and hacks, you know, that have you advised maybe other people to do and to try and what effects has it had? Any, any interesting things that uh, people have done that you see works better? I think one of the things people um, miss a lot, and in spite of almost everybody saying it out loud, is electrolytes. You have to do electrolytes right in order to be successful on, you know, on this way of, of eating. And doing it right depends on the individual. And it's also important to not overdo it because, you know, too much potassium is a really bad thing for your heart. So you do have to be cognizant of the fact that um, if you're doing this and you're eating, especially really low carb, like under 20 grams total carbs a day, I'm a total carbs girl. I'm not a net carbs girl. And uh, so, you know, making sure you're getting adequate sodium, adequate potassium and adequate magnesium and almost everybody's magnesium deficient in the universe out there. So it, it's really important to get that done and then to do blood work. You do need to be supported by a primary care provider if this is something that you're going to do, especially for a really long time, because there are some people who should not do keto. And you know, there are a lot of people out there talking about how, how awesome it is. And it is, it's awesome. It's revolutionized my life. That's for sure. And all the people I talk to in the universe are, are, you know, super keen on it, but there are some people who should not do it. And if the person you're getting advice from can't tell you at least three types of people who should not be doing keto, then you should probably be getting your advice somewhere else because, there, you know, there there are some metabolic issues and some blood diseases and some, you know, familial genetic issues that that are not are you know you'd not be happy on uh, on keto at all. Um, so w where are you taking things over the next six months or a year? What's 
you know, you're working on your new experiments just on yourself. Uh, what else do you see that's going to be super helpful for people that want to get involved? Um, I'm I'm busy doing a bunch of things. I'm doing some um, some lipedema research with uh, this wonderful gang out of the you know the lipedema project, um, and that's going to be really interesting. And I am hoping to move. I was writing stories on people who are using keto therapeutically, and I have those up on my website right now. But I'm moving to more YouTube videos and and more of the the podcast because it's it's just what people want these days. They want to be able to listen and not necessarily to read. So I'm really looking forward to to ramping that up. And um, and that podcast is going to be called What Does Food Have to Do With It? So that'll look for that. It'll be coming up in the next six months. And if I say it out loud now, I have to actually light a fire under my butt and get it going. But oh, good, uh, good. It's, yeah, that, that'll be fun. But I'm, I'm just, I'm really wanting to... Um, to emphasize the importance of people taking control of their own health and learning that that it's doable and that you know every single person out there in my humble opinion should have their own medical chart like in their own hands and and that means getting copy of your blood work you know understanding how these things impact your life because you know not everybody needs to be keto all the time either it's you know we talk about it being a lifelong thing but if you're fundamentally metabolically flexible you don't need to do that all your life. Sure, eat low carb all your life, absolutely. But you don't necessarily need to be in ketosis every single day, you know, 24-7, 365. And right. for some of us, we do. But if you don't, then then go with that because that's how you were created. That's, that's, that's how your body was designed to be. It was designed to be flexible and use that flexibility to your advantage and, and do cool things and run marathons. And uh, let me ask you, what's your what's been your biggest hurdle when it comes to a stall? When it comes to uh, trying to be keto, my biggest hurdle? Like a, just a stall, just, you know, a stall or a plateau. Um, I feel like I've been stalled for a while, but uh, my biggest problem is uh, movie popcorn. You know, like <laughs> once a week I'll go to the movies and I'll have popcorn and I know that's just all carbs. But um, my biggest hurdle is that I, I feel like I have to be super strict in order to lose weight you know i lost a bunch but i still have a lot more to lose you know i was never this heavy years ago um but if i'm not like super strict it just doesn't happen and that's frustrating it's not fair but there's not really much i can do i think mm -hmm. and that i think sometimes speaks uh not necessarily for you but maybe for you to you know your level of insulin sensitivity and so people who are more insulin resistant tend to have to be a lot more you know, careful, and they have to be careful with things like dairy and with that those, those nuts. Which, when I tell when I tell my keto classes that they can only have you know three ounces of nuts a week, <laughs> they get very upset with me. But um, you know that can really that can really put a crimp into things. And I think you're right. I think for me and my lipedema, it needs to be really strict. And for you, you may find that periods of being really ultra strict will be able to lead you to being a little less strict once you get to where you want to be. And I don't know if you guys have it uh, in Chicago, but we have this stuff up here called Buddha popcorn. I buy it for my daughter. And two well, cups of it. of it is actually, it's only eight grams of total carbs in two cups. I'll have to try that. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's so good. maybe you should take that in your inside, you know, coat pocket when you go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That actually be a really good idea. It's hard to uh, to stuff. It's kind of bulky, but yeah, that's that's a really good idea. I can line my code with it. <laughs> that's right. It'll be insulation as well as we get colder. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, cool. So, um, <clears throat> so what's the best way for uh, folks to get in touch and to find out more and engage with all your resources? Uh, well, they can come and see me at KetoCon. I'm, I'm really excited. I'll be going back uh, and speaking at KetoCon this year again in Austin in June and I'm planning to be on the low-carb cruise as well with Jimmy. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So if people want to take a holiday in May, come on the cruise with us. And uh, and then they can find me at my website at ketoalldayeveryday.com. And I, I warn people, especially you guys out there who are really technologically advanced, um, my website is in its toddler phase because I do have a full-time job. And I, you know, I'm just trying to create this platform that is free and accessible and and just has has good information. And so I'm it's a very, very slow project. But I'm hoping someone, maybe someone out there would like to reach out to me and help me pull this off. But, but uh, at the moment, um, it's, it's a work in progress. And, you know, look for some of my YouTube videos I'm putting up and uh, and definitely listen for the podcast in the next couple of months. All right, that's great. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been uh, really good to talk to you. And you, Richard, thank you so much. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.